to you this morning. We know you're doing a new thing across the earth. And we just want to be found yielded, loving you, ministering to you, receiving you, following you. Jesus, I'm asking this morning for open hearts to encounter you. Open hearts to receive you. Open hearts to see you, God. Not just in this room, but I'm asking Holy Spirit across the nations, would you begin to woo and draw the hearts of sons and daughters to return, to come into the place of intimacy with you. Jesus, would you teach us what it means to minister to your heart, what it means to create and steward environments and atmospheres that bless you and honor you and glorify you. Lord, it's not a heavy thing to deny ourselves and follow you. It's joyful, it's beautiful to yield, to love you, to worship you. So I'm asking, Holy Spirit, would you do this morning what only you can do in our hearts and in our lives? The joyful surrender, the joyful, yielded, laid down love. Thank you for your tenderness. Thank you for the gentle touch of the Holy Spirit. But God, I know that even in that, there is an explosion of the joy of our salvation, of knowing you that comes from our hearts. And so this morning, I just, I love you, Jesus. We love you. We love you. This is your house. This is your room. We get together. We could be under a tree or in an upper room like this. But God, wherever we come together, thank you. And we're gathered in your name that you're here. You're in the midst of us. And Jesus, I'm asking this morning, would you teach us what it means to be in your glory, in your presence? And in where you're in the midst of us, God. I bless you and I honor you this morning. And I ask that you would impart something to our hearts this morning about the presence of God. That you would teach us and train us and lead us. Jesus, we have nothing but yielded hearts. But you take a yielded heart and a yielded life and you fill it with your glory. I bless you, Lord. I love you. I honor you. I worship you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Holy Spirit. If, you are, if you're encountering the Lord right now, please don't move. You're welcome to stay in that space. Um, but if you can, if you're with me, um, we're just going to lean into something. We'll probably come back into worship. Can you stay for like five minutes? Just thank you.
If you can, if you want to take your seats, you can. If you want to stay face down, that's good. Jesus, this morning, as a church, we stand in the gap, not only just for our community, but for the church in our city. And we repent where we've allowed our hunger and our thirst for you to wane. We repent for where we have gone after other things, where we have prioritized other things, where we have valued other things above you, above your presence. God, when, where life has got loud for so many of us in the city, we repent for yielding to the voice of society or culture or this world or our work environments or even the voice of mammon. We just repent. We repent and we say, God, thank you that the joy of returning is that when we return, we find the fullness of you. That when we return, we, we are, there's the collision, the holy collision of a God who's in love with His people and a bride for His glory. And Lord, I know that there is more. And we will not settle as a people. We're not going to settle for ordinary, mundane, mediocre Christianity. When you've given us the Spirit of the living God, the dunamis power and fire of the Holy Spirit, the, the manifest, tangible presence of God, the glory of the Lord, when you say that the fullness of who God is has been given and imparted to the church, God, we say we will not settle in our hearts for anything less than all that you paid for. And you want a bride that you can experientially walk with. We want to experience you. We want to know you. We want to love you and be loved by you. We want to receive all that you're pouring out. Not just wisdom and revelation, but the tangible touch of God, the hand of the Holy Spirit upon your people. And so we joyfully repent because we know we were born for you. We know we were born for your presence. We know we were born for your heart, Lord. And I'm asking even now as churches across the city are meeting or have met, God, I thank you that you would do this in the heart of your bride that we would return, a joyful returning to the splendor and the beauty and the worthiness of Jesus, Lord, where we would break every religious mold, time limits and structures and systems, but that we would be fully captivated by the one, fully given to you. It's only hard to deny yourself when you still want to live without Him. When we come to a place of just going, Jesus, I just want to live in you and with you, then it's a joy. It's a joy to just love you. It's a joy to receive you. 
this morning, I just feel it's, it's like a choice in our hearts with the Lord saying, denying yourself doesn't mean getting it right. Denying yourself means choosing Him. Just choosing Him. Just choosing His way, choosing His obedience, choosing His life, choosing His joy, choosing His peace. And so, Holy Spirit, we just want the life flow of God in this room, in every single heart, in every single person, and in your church, Lord. We choose you, Lord, and we love you. And I I do just ask, Lord, right now, that you'd fill this atmosphere, that you would fill this room, not because it's about filling this room, but because your people are in this room, Lord that you'd fill us, fill this house, rest on us, Lord Jesus. (coughs) We love you. We worship you. Jesus, as we, as we open your word, I thank you for revelation, for truth, for your heart, for the love of God to fill this room. And God, as we, as we open the word, I thank you. We are opening like the pages of encounter. God, that when I look at this Bible, God, that it's like you're taking us through a curtain into greater revelation, that we're going into the very substance of who you are. And so we love your word, God. We love your word. We respond to the invitation We respond to the invitation of your word to encounter the living God. Not just text, not just information, but to come into that that place of truly knowing. So we love your word and we honor you and we love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, courts. Thank you. Hmm. When church becomes, when church is for God and not for man, it starts to become uncomfortable. When church is for God and not... Jeez, that went really quiet. When church is for God and not for man, it starts to become uncomfortable. And the reason why is because when God does something, our our human nature, our self nature, our flesh nature doesn't really know what to do with that. But your spirit does and your spirit is responding. And when your, your soul and your body is yielded to the Holy Spirit in your life, suddenly we begin to allow God to do things that make us uncomfortable. And it's why the Holy Spirit's called the comforter. He's the comforter because when he's in the room, it's a little uncomfortable. When you're filled and baptized in the fire of God, you do things you would never have done before knowing him. It's uncomfortable. And so when we create environments together as a family to minister to the heart of God, it's uncomfortable because we don't know what to do with those spaces. And, and this is the beauty of it. He didn't ask us to know what to do. He just asked us to come. And so when we lean into unknown spaces together as a church, it's quite scary more so, just to be honest, from a leadership perspective, because as a leader, it's like, I don't know what to do with that. And it's beautiful because it's His. He knows what to do with it. He wants it. And so when we get to places like that in worship where we feel, okay, we're going to lift up a song that's from your heart. I didn't give you the lyrics. 
I didn't give you the words, it's yours. And what comes out of your heart begins to move him and bless him. And then we, we, we kind of feel that space and go, how long am I supposed to do this? And what's supposed to happen? And what, should I feel a change? Am I supposed to be feeling something right now? What's supposed to happen? We feel uncomfortable, but the reality is if we will learn to press into that space with God, if we'll learn to lean into the unknown places with him, I think somewhere in there is where we abandon ourselves and, our, and the traditions of men and we find his face. Because the songs that we sing are invitations to encounters with Him. And I think what's, what's dangerous, and, and God's doing something right now across the church, I'm so grateful, but what's dangerous is if we design our times together as a family for men and women, for people, then it's more about comfort, it's more about I want to make sure you're okay, I've got a system and a way for you to actually uh, you know, encounter God, get discipled, tick the boxes, but what it produces is a people with a bunch of information with no encounter or revelation. And then what we do is we get really good at filling rooms and filling auditoriums and making sure there's no empty seats, but it becomes easy Christianity. And it's not really Christianity at all. I don't mean to say that harshly, but it's the truth. Because if, it, if it's not a, an encounter where there's an exchange, I'm not sure it's the fullness of the gospel. Do you know what I'm saying? If, if the gospel that we're preaching and believing is where we can come in and it's, it's, it's comfortable, easy, no change, no, nothing else happens. We just, it's good to be here. It's nice to be with people who love Jesus. They're, they're much nicer than others who don't believe in Jesus. The, the music just kind of makes my soul feel at peace. The, the preach just really motivates me because it's difficult out there and it's tough and it is. Don't get me wrong. And so... I'm just so glad, and I can at least have a good cup of coffee. I'm so glad my church values coffee. And, um, and you know, they, they keep the time limit nice and, and short just because I, I also have other things in my life that I value. What I'm describing to us is modern-day Western-looking Christianity And I feel the mercy and the love of God for His bride that I'll never knock or, or speak against the bride. But I feel the, the heart of God is saying, but there's so much more. And if we want to be the church that is shining and radiating the presence of Jesus in cities, regions, and nations, I think we've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. We've got to get used to the Lord breaking the boxes of what we know and taking us beyond the traditions of men so that we can learn God's ways and God's heart. And here's the beautiful thing about God's ways is that He doesn't always do it the same. He doesn't always do it the same. And so I think we should have more of a hunger and expectation to come to church not knowing what's going to happen than coming in a routine and in our kind of weekly rhythm uh, and the thing is, I, I just want to encourage you, if I make that change in my heart, that's amazing for my life, but it's not going to change anything for you. And if you make that change in your heart, it'll change your life, but it's not going to change anything for me. At the end of the day, every single one of us in this room are stewards of our own heart. And God is, has decided to make His Eden, His garden where He wants to walk with you, here. He's made you his dwelling place. And so in order for us to become a people of, for his own possession, a people of his presence, it really does start with our hearts. And so as a pastor and a leader in this time, I'm realizing more and more, 
Our responsibility as shepherds is to say, hey, let's make sure we're intentional with personally going after Jesus, stewarding our hearts so that we can be filled, every single one of us, filled with the presence and the Spirit of Jesus so that when we come together, there's a people He can rest upon. And I think the more we lean into that as a community, the more wild and, and crazy and different our times together will become because we, we don't really know how He's going to come. Right? See, I remember years ago, the Lord said something to me. He said, there's, there's two ways to build communities. One is completely dependent on the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Meaning he can do whatever the heck he wants to do, right? And, and we, just, we just hold on for dear life. We follow him and we surrender to his, his leadership. And that one there is quite intimidating and scary as a leader because you don't know. And, and the pressures and expectations of people is that you're the leader you're supposed to know, right? So not many people want to go here because it's, what it requires is an abandonment to the leadership of Jesus to say, God, if you don't build it, it's not happening. On this side, there is a way to build community where there, there is a formula and it works. And I'm not saying it's wrong, I just don't think it's the fullness. And, and it, it changes things based on what our measure or metric for success as the church is. If the measure of success is to look like a, a, a successful institution, organization that's getting things done, or if it looks like an actual bride bridal company of people whose hearts are in love with Jesus, who are burning for Him, longing for Him, being changed and transformed by His presence, and beginning to live something out that only He could do, and only He can get the glory for. That community there is the one that brings impact and change and transformation, but what it, what it takes and what it requires is a heart decision inside of every single one of us. See, when leaders try to do this, Without a community coming together with them, we begin to build ministries on the anointings of men and women. And then, and then as soon as that man or woman struggles or goes through a difficult season, the whole ministry gets shaken because it was built on one anointing. You are not called to live off of the anointing God's put on my life or any other leader in this church. God has given you His anointing. The anointing is the, the manifestation of Christ in and upon you. And so you're not called to live off of the encounters of your leaders. You're not called to live off of the, account, the, the anointing of your leaders. You're called to walk in your own personal relationship with Jesus. Submission to leadership has to do with how we as a community build culture that transforms society. But the reality is submission to leaders doesn't mean this. doesn't mean you do it for me and I attend what you do. See, the dangerous thing is majority of, of, of Christians in, in the context that we know as church attend a church that ticks the boxes of what they believe in, but it hasn't changed their own hearts and lives. So I'm so glad I go to a church, tithe to my church, and, and I'm a part of a church that goes to the nations, but I've never had a desire to be a part of that. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, I'm so glad that I attend a church that's you know, taking care of the poor. I've never actually been out onto the streets but I'm so glad that I give my tithe to a church that does that. We've got to be so careful that we don't get sucked into this thinking of our walk with Jesus and our Christianity when God actually really cares about your life and your yielded yes, your surrendered life to Him matters so much. Are you with me? 
And so I'm cheeky when I say this sometimes, but you know, when people, when people come, they go, so what does 24-7 do for the poor? And you go, I don't know, what do you do for the poor? And it's like, you know, no, no, I'm asking, what does the church do for the poor? What's the program the church has for the poor? You are the program. You're it. Like, there isn't another plan. And, and it's a freeing thing when, when we as leaders and, and, and shepherds in the house can get to a place of, of rejecting the pressures of man and just going, our responsibility is to be first followers. Are you with me? Why am I saying all of this? I'm saying this because I, I can feel at the end of the year where people are tired. And that's okay. It's been, there's a lot of stuff we've got to carry, a lot of situations. I mean, I get it. We're tired. But there has to be something inside of us as the people of God that is immovable. There has to be something inside of us that it doesn't matter what I feel, what I'm going through, what comes at me, what I've done, any of that stuff. There has to be something in me that is immovable. And it's got to be Him. This is the thing that keeps the Christian steadfast and consistent through every season of life. This is what we lean on when we're tired. This is where we draw from when we're weak. It's Him. And, and so if we, can, if we can be a people who in December, when everyone's tired and just trying to get to that last couple of days, finish it, close it, close the business, get on holiday, get to plate immediately, whatever it is, get to the beach. If we can be Christians who, yes, Celebrate rest, celebrate holidays. But I'm immovable in the one thing. You cannot shake me. I will not deviate. Nothing changes on this one thing that my life is lived unto, and it's the glory of the Lord. In other words, when you, when you get me when I'm refreshed, rejuvenated with 14 goals for the year, and I'm, all my New Year's resolutions, and I'm stoked for the next year, you still get the same one thing. And when you get me in December, when I'm tired and my body's tired, I'm emotionally tired, mentally tired, there's a lot of things that we have to carry. It's been a busy year. I'm still immovable in the one thing. And what this produces in us is a steadfast, consistent expression of God. So when, when we're rocking, you get Jesus. When we're tired, you get Jesus. Because both are nothing without Him anyway. I, it's not that I'm more effective when I've got my goals sorted out. And I'm less effective when I'm tired. I'm only effective when it's Christ. And so there needs to be something on the inside of you. And I'm going to tell you how we get this. But there needs to be something on the inside of you where you've encountered Jesus that regardless of what's happening in my life, I am living in a relationship with Jesus for the dream of God to host and carry his presence and to see the gospel preached and proclaimed to every tribe, tongue and nation. And it doesn't matter if it's raining or sunny, that's what you're going to get. The storm can come, life can get crazy, you can strip me of everything, that's what you're going to get. And if we don't have this immovable passion, this consuming, I mean, if he's an all-consuming fire, if I have the fire of God in me, it's all-consuming it has all of me. It's like, if I'm tired, He still has all of me. And if I'm fresh, He still has all of me. I, I won't move from this one thing. And you're not going to get it by trying harder and by ticking all the boxes. You get it by receiving Him. See, God wants to do it in you more than you want to do it yourself. 
And so this morning, I want to talk about something that I, I think as a church, we are going to grow in more and more. But I really believe this for our hearts and lives, that if we understand this, um, I, think it, I think, I believe this with all my heart, it changes life. And I want to talk about the manifest presence of God. So we're in our God Encounter series. We're talking about encountering the living God, what that means. We're looking at people in the Bible and how encountering God changed everything. I want to set us free from something this morning and just say this. How many of you have heard this statement? It's not about the feelings. It's not about what you feel. It's not about the stuff. It's just about God. How many of you have heard that? Now, I would agree with that statement in the right context. <laughs> but what we've got to be careful of is that by saying we're not, it's not about those things, it's not about that stuff, we just go after Jesus, we've got to be careful that we don't settle for knowledge about Jesus and, and no experience. And so I want to set up this morning with this simple truth. If our theology about God does not lead us to an experience with Him, we should question the theology. Amen? Amen? Because I don't understand if he's, if he's the God of the Bible who we are studying together as a family, he seems to be very, very experiential. He seems to be very intentional about revealing and manifesting who he is to his people. As a matter of fact, the God of the Bible is not a God who's saying, I actually expect you to walk this life without feeling a single thing. And just trust me. Are there seasons where we walk that? Of course there is. We live by faith, not by sight. What drives me, what, what anchors my life is faith. I believe in Him. doesn't matter what I feel. But the God that I serve is not a God who doesn't want to be experienced. He deeply desires to reveal Himself to us. Are you with me? And so when we talk about the manifest presence of God, what are we talking about? Because majority of the time when we use the word manifest, we're talking about demons. That person manifested, definitely a demon. But the enemy can only copy, right? So if the enemy, if, if the demonic can fill someone who is not born again, because let me just say this, I, do, I believe this all my heart. If you're born again, you cannot be demon possessed. Sorry, Holy Spirit doesn't share occupancy. Sorry. <clears throat> That's for another day. But I need to say this. If the enemy can possess someone who doesn't know Jesus and manifest something, how much more does someone possessed by God and filled with God, how much more should we not expect the manifestation of who's filled us? Why, why would we not expect that? And so... When the demonic wants to take control and make you look silly and, and take, draw attention to yourself, the manifestation of the presence of God in and upon our lives brings glory to Him. It takes the emphasis off of you and puts it on Christ. This is the anointing. Okay, there's the omnipresence of God. How many believe God is everywhere? Right? He's omnipresent. So God's everywhere. Then we have the indwelling presence of God, that if you're a born-again believer, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, is inside of you, and He's one with your spirit, whether you feel it or not. Amen? We're in agreement? Do I need to teach it? We're good. If you're born again, your spirit and the Spirit of God are one. 
It's not a feeling. It's a fact. It's truth. It's permanent. It cannot change. So God is everywhere, and He's also one with you, and He's inside of you. So omnipresence, indwelling presence. Then there's the third one, which we don't talk about enough, the manifest presence. And that's this, that God, who is everywhere, wants to dwell somewhere. That God, who is everywhere, wants to manifest Himself somewhere. So if we look at the Garden of Eden, I love this. I'm reading a book right now that's really stirring my heart. Um, it's about the presence of the Lord. Um, funny that. But this stirs my heart that if you look at the Garden of Eden, majority of us as Christians, we look at, at the, the process of creation, the Garden of Eden, we look at it purely out of either you, know, you believe in, in God and He created it, or there's uh, evolution, and we, there's this whole study around creation. That's great. That's beautiful. But you know that in the East, and especially in Eastern history, they, they read that passage of Scripture very differently to us. Their perspective and how they understand it is that God was creating for Himself a temple. In fact, they relate to Eden as a temple city. Yeah. And so, if God... like, Just think about these thoughts. God creates the world and the stars, and the universe, and galaxies, and He creates all of this, so that the God who is everywhere can be somewhere, and reveal Himself, and have a context and an environment to walk with people He loves. To manifest Himself, to reveal Himself, to teach us, train us, and empower us with Himself, and He creates a context, a place for that to happen. So when God creates earth, what is He desiring? He's desiring a temple. Why would He create the world as beautiful as it is? Because He's everywhere, but He wants to be on that speck of a speck of a speck of a speck of a speck within all those different galaxies or whatever in the universe where you're a speck within that speck and He wants to be there. This should stir something in us. He takes six days to create everything. He creates man, and then he takes a day off. No, he doesn't. He, he rests. God wasn't tired from six days of creation. He didn't need a day off. He didn't take a vacation. He didn't go six days of having to speak these words and, and create. It wasn't work for God. He designed something, he built something, then he created what he desired to have a relationship with, which is man. And then the seventh day is God's statement of intent for everything he made. Rest. Adam's first 24 hours, Adam's first experience of God was what? Rest. Adam's first day with the Lord was seeing God rest somewhere. Dwell with Him. Walk with Him. Commune with Him. He had created a, a world, a space, a temple where God and man could minister to each other. Intimacy. So the God who's everywhere wants to dwell somewhere. From the beginning, we see God's statement of intent, a temple city. And it's interesting that the, the beginning of the Bible starts with this Eden reality and the end of the Bible finishes with the same thing, but in its fullness. 
And so, when Adam and Eve are given this mandate to tend to the garden, that word is actually to guard and to steward that space. See, think about this. Even on the earth, God creates earth, then there's a region called Eden, then there's a garden in Eden. And it's in the garden that God dwells. That even in everything God created, He wanted to be in a specific location with His people. What if when we get together like this and create an atmosphere of worship, we tend by singing, ministering, our fellowship, the way we commune with God, we tend and guard an atmosphere and an environment that's unto Him and it becomes an Eden reality between heaven and earth now. If we actually believed that and came together with that expectation, God could do anything. All throughout the Bible, we see this. So we see, I mean, I love Moses and the Israelites. It's, if, God, if God didn't want to manifest himself to us, if God didn't want to reveal himself experientially to his people, why did he do it the way he did it? I mean, the story of Israel is filled with signs and wonders and manifestations of who God is. To the point where even when he's leading them through the wilderness, he's like, hey, I'm going to lead you because you're my people, regardless of your craziness. Uh, you're mine because I said you are. And so what that means is this, I'm going to be a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. This massive pillar of cloud that's leading them. In other words, you couldn't operate without seeing and experiencing God. He was in front of them all the time. And yet that was still limited in its expression because God didn't want to just externally be with you. He wanted to put himself inside of you. And so he draws them up on Mount Sinai. He's like, come up here to me because I don't just want to be something you can look at. I want to be face to face. I want intimacy, oneness, union, togetherness. And out of a whole nation of people, one man responds. God invites all of Israel and they go, Moses, you go. And Moses goes, well, hey, I had the burning bush encounter and I survived it. I think he actually wants to be with us. And they, they're, they're confused and going, no, it's too scary. You go. And Moses goes, okay, I'll go into the scary cloud. I'll go into the scary cloud, not even knowing if I come out of that cloud, but it's God. Of course, I want to be in the cloud. So the fullness of life, this is, uh, Lord Jesus, open our hearts this morning. The fullness of life in the Spirit is when the indwelling presence of God has formed us into faithful stewards of the manifest presence of God. See, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit inside of you is forming you, transforming you, shaping you, creating you, redesigning. He's making you into a faithful steward of the manifest presence of God. And you go, well, what does that look like? I love Acts chapter 2. <laughs> The church is born in what? The manifest presence and power of God. Jesus' instruction to the church was this. Don't do anything until you have the Holy Spirit. Why? Because when He comes, power and presence is inside of you and upon you, and it sets you apart from everybody else. Same thing with Moses. God's upset with Israel. He's like, okay, I'm going to give you the promised land. Just go. <laughs> 
I sorted out for you. You go across. It's all good, but I'm not going with you. And Moses says, God, if you don't go with us, we're not going. Why? Because how will they know that we're different? How will they know that you're with us? What is Moses saying? He's like, we have the story and evidence of your manifest presence upon us and with us. How will we be set apart from anyone else if we don't have the manifest presence of God with us? Dare I ask this question? How can we expect to be the church in this hour without the manifest presence of God? What makes us different to any other religion, organization, or institution if we don't have His presence? And I think the church has come to a point where we have to say, we're not going to move unless you move with us. Because how will they know? What's the point of doing the stuff? What's the point of entering into the promised land without the manifest presence of God? See, the God of the Bible wants to be known and encountered and enjoyed. It pleases the Father's heart to reveal Himself to us where we are left in awe and wonder. And we just go, that's my God. This God, this extraordinary, incredible, faithful, good God, who is filled with glory, splendor, and wonder, who does signs, wonders, and miracles, who is the creator of all. He's everything. He's mine. Do you know how that pleases the heart of God when in all of His glory, He reveals Himself and you can say, He's mine. I am my beloved's and he is mine. See, I don't know. If God's really romantic. He really is. What, what God walks with the rebellious people who keep denying him and he's just so good that he just keeps meeting every need? Even when his heart is broken and he's like, Israel, I've chosen you. And he knows the plan. He's, 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 not, he's not shocked. He's unfolding things. But he's going, man, you're still not seeing it. You're still not seeing it. But here's my faithfulness. Here's my goodness. Here's how much I love you. I'm your God. And something moves his heart when he... I love this. God is a lover. He's going like, Moses, I'm, you go. Just take them. Go have the promised land. Just do it without me. You can have everything I promised you. You can have it. And it's almost like God is just going, I'm longing for a bride. I'm longing for a bride who goes, I don't want all the stuff. I want you. And God's he's this lover, this fiery lover who's saying this. And Moses is like, no, God, I don't want this stuff without you. I want you. How will they know I'm yours if you're not with me? And, and something happens in the heart of God. I love this. And then Moses cries out, God, show me your glory. And God is like, that, that's my friend. That's my bride. I speak to him as a man speaks to his friend face to face. Why? Because in the midst of, of the potential of having everything God's promised him, he just wants me. God gives Moses this design of the, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And so he puts it up. And this is wild. <laughs> God asked Moses to do something a certain way because he likes it a certain way. 
And so Moses does it in obedience. And what happens? God honors Moses' obedience to steward an atmosphere and environment in a tent. And what does he do? He fills it. He fills the tent. But he was the pillar of cloud. And he was the pillar of fire. And he, and he was the crazy, stormy thing on the mountain. He was all those things. But then he goes, I asked Moses to do something. He did it because he loves me and I'm going to fill it. Do you think it was about the tent? Do you think it was about how nice the menorah looked? I don't think it was about any of those things. I think it was that God said, Moses, I like these things. And Moses said, God, whatever you want, that's what I'm going to build. And he puts it up. And it's this temporary tent that's going to move through a wilderness, a stinky desert with a million people who are rebellious. But God goes, thank you that you value me and love me, that we have a relationship, that I can ask you to do something and you do it and I can fill it. And then you look at Joshua and I love this. Joshua chooses to stay at that tent. Why does Joshua stay at the tent? Because God's there. Not just like he's symbolically there. You know, because the, the Ark of the Covenant is there, there's a symbol of God there. And so, no, he is experientially there. Meaning, when you go to the tent, I mean, it got so intense that the glory of God was so weighty that to tie ropes around the priest's feet with bells that if the bells stopped, they died in the glory and they had to pull their bodies out. Because without the Holy Spirit, our, our physical bodies can't handle the glory of God. I want to question something for you. What God do you serve if you think that outside of the Holy Spirit, we can actually handle His glory? No, when His glory comes, I am, I am living by the Spirit of God to actually be in that environment because it's so weighty, it's so powerful, it's so glorious. I am not going to limit God to goosebumps in a service and some good songs and music. I want the glory of God. I want Him to fill the temple where the priests, you and me, can't stand anymore. Where. Where yes, when I go out into the streets, lay hands on people, they get healed. But here, His glory is so tangible, nobody even needs to lay hands on you. You've come into the house of God. This is, where, this is His home. This is where He dwells. His nature is revealed and demonstrated. And I'm telling you this morning, this is possible. This is not a far-fetched, crazy dream. This is God's desire for your life. And here's what it looks like. You and me, together as a family and as a community, laying down our own agendas, laying down our giftings, laying down our, what we think we are, because by the way, not, not everybody fits into the fivefold thing and there's too many people calling themselves fivefold things that are not. Stop it. Lay it down and just come as a son and a daughter and just say, I want to be in the house of the Lord. Why? I want to dwell there all the days of my life because guess what? Surely goodness and mercy follow me. He's my God. And goodness and mercy is unto me and him together in his house. Jesus is not looking for apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers and evangelists. He's not looking for them. Their gifts given to the church for what? That the body would become like Christ. Evangelists, their job is not to make more evangelists. Their job is to make the body look like Christ. Prophets, same thing. Apostles, same thing. Any other teaching on the fivefold gifting, question it. Because when you read your Bible, where it's, where it's brought up, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors, where it's brought up, Guess what the next verses say? So that we would all actually mature or come to the maturity of the fullness of the stature of Christ. Not the fullness of the stature of the, the apostle, prophet, or the gift. 
Christ. If you have to call yourself an evangelist, I'm not sure you are one. I say that with all the love in my heart, but I want you to think about something for a second. David's tabernacle, David employs a whole bunch of musicians and gatekeepers, intercessors, like he employs thousands. Thousands. Just picture this for a second. Thousands of people. He pays them and says, here's your job. You're going to do what we do every Sunday, but you're going to do that 24-7. You're just going to love God and you're going to honor His presence and create and steward an atmosphere that's his so that he has a place where he's loved so that his manifest presence dwells there and doesn't move so that I can open it up to all of Israel and say come behold the king of glory that's what David did instead of putting it where it used to be in Moses' tabernacle he put it in a tent on Mount Zion opened up the tent and said come behold the king of glory under the old covenant. <laughs> why, David, why was David a man after God's own heart? Because God's heart is he wants to be with you. And David was like, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm probably the worst of the worst in terms of making mistakes, but I know you want to be with me. So I have the courage to follow you. I have the courage to open up the tent. And again, it's a tent. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not about the tent. It's about that people committed themselves to say, we're going to love you on the earth. And when we do that, guess what happens? Heaven and earth meet. And we become that Eden reality. Now, today, yes, the fullness is coming, but today as the ecclesia, the church, the government of heaven on the earth, we just created an environment for Him. And then the manifest presence of God comes and David can say, I beheld you in your sanctuary. I saw your beauty. I saw your power. Maybe what the world needs right now is not impressive Christians with a lot to say, but more people stewarding environments where people can come in who don't know Jesus can come in and go, I saw the splendor and the glory of who He is. What if the presence of God will do more to the human heart than how well you think you can preach the gospel? Now, must we preach the gospel? Yes. But the proclamation has to be followed by the demonstration of who He is. <laughs> Acts 2, the church is birthed in the manifest presence of God and God fills them, okay? Look at this picture. God fills them, every individual. He fills them to overflowing. And then in the overflowing, He comes upon them and it spills out onto the streets. And when it spills out onto the streets, thousands hear a sound. What sound? Well, the first verse is that there was a sound like a rushing wind. That wasn't the people, that was God. The manifest presence of the Holy Spirit came into a room like a rushing wind and the sound captivated a city. 
And everyone goes, man, let's have that. If only we could have a more anointed leader who could get God to bring the wind into our meetings. If only Connor had done a 40-day fast up until now, we would be having wild times together. No. It's you, and it's me, and it's us, as the family of God saying, we're sons and daughters, priests unto the living God, and together we cultivate something that He likes. The Great Commission comes out of the manifest presence of God. Because what happens is, suddenly, the Spirit of Jesus is in them, and He's upon them, and they begin to speak in a whole bunch of languages. If that's not a statement of intent by God, I don't know what is. He's like, I'm going to fill you with my glory and come upon you, and then guess what's going to happen? Every tribe, every tongue. Every language, every nation, every ethnic group is going to be drawn to a sound. Why, does, why is our main passion to see the nations filled with worship? Because the sound of His glory is going to draw all men unto Himself. When we lift Jesus up, He draws all men to Himself. Amen. Man, how long have I been going? I feel like I've been going five minutes. It's 11 o'clock. You guys okay? Um, Peter, Acts chapter 5. What happened to Peter? Peter, I mean, he's the, I like Peter. He's just, he made so many mistakes, and he's just this wild, reckless, crazy leader. And Jesus is like, you're going to be one of my main guys. I'm like, wow, Lord, thank you for your mercy and your grace, because when Peter gets filled, even though he denied Jesus three times, when he's filled... He's the guy who stands up and says, we have a message to preach. And he's filled with the glory and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He begins to preach the gospel. And signs and wonders begin to follow. And then in Acts chapter 5, this is nuts. He's been filled internally, the indwelling presence of God. It's overflowing. And he's stewarding his life in the presence of Jesus. Daily rhythms of prayer. Why daily rhythms of prayer? Well, look, it works. They steward their life in his presence and what does it equal? Manifest presence. Why did they go to the temple every day and pray? Why did they meet in each other's homes every day? Why did they break bread, have fellowship together, praise, continue in prayer? Why did they do all these things? Why did they commit themselves, devote themselves to the apostles' teaching? Because look at what it produces. Manifest presence of God. To the extent that Peter is so overshadowed by the glory of God, the presence of God is resting on his life, that his shadow, because he's overshadowed, is healing the sick. That's not Peter. Peter doesn't know what the heck's going on. He's just walking, and it's like people are just getting healed. Who gets the glory? So God wants to fill you daily so that his manifest presence can rest upon you daily. The ultimate goal of life is to be filled and overshadowed by God Himself. I want to just I want to touch on something very quickly. Are you is everyone okay? There's something an uh, amazing man of God said that's really challenged me. He was talking about the leadership of Jesus, and he said this. He said, "You know the scripture: foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head." And we go, he was homeless. And, and fair, he was probably moving around and maybe didn't own a home. That's okay. You can take that from the scripture. That's, a, that's probably pretty accurate. However, there's more to this. And, and he, he leans into this revelation. He says, the word, therefore, um, to lay his head is klino, which means to bow or to rest, to rest his head. 
So Jesus comes to the earth and until he births the church, there is nowhere for the headship of Christ to rest. There is nowhere for the leadership of Jesus to rest. And so he's making a statement. There's a longing in the heart of Jesus for his headship, his leadership, to rest upon a people that had not yet been made ready. So what does he do? He births them. He's hanging on a cross. He gets pierced in his side. Blood and water. His side. That's co-heirs. Blood and water come out of his side. Where do you see blood and water? Birth. He gives birth to his bride, his co-heirs, so that now there's a people who will carry the headship and the leadership of Jesus. And then, it's this, you know, when he's hanging on the cross and it says he gave up his spirit and he bowed his head, the word bowed, same word cleaner. So when Jesus said, I have nowhere to rest my head, when he gave up his spirit, paid the ultimate price to birth his bride, he now had a place to rest his head. The destiny of the church is to be a people where the leadership and the headship of Jesus can rest, dwell, and remain. But I want to say this to you. The leadership of Jesus is experiential. It is not a topic. It's not an idea. It's not just, an, it's not just information. It's not just a list of things that he does. It's experiential. So dare I say this, can you be living under the leadership of Jesus without experiencing the manifest presence of God? Of course, the Word and Scripture governs us. Hear what I'm saying. But if, if the Word and the Scriptures that we're studying and reading aren't leading us to encounters with the living God, how do we recognize His leadership? How do we recognize His leadership? You say, well, it's by His ways. But are his ways without substance? Do his ways not change things? Do his ways not affect and change us personally? So whichever way we go about this, even scripturally, we take the scriptures and go, we're governed by the ways of Jesus through scripture. Guess what? Those things are experienced. Because you can say you're humble <laughs> and not have humility as an expression of your life. You can, we can say many things, but in order to taste and see of the nature of Jesus in our lives, it has to be experienced. How do I receive Him? How do I know I've received Him if I don't experience the exchange that takes place? If I'm not seeing the fruit in my life, I'm going like, I don't know how that came out of me. I don't know how I had peace in that situation when normally I'd be completely stressed out and anxious. I'm seeing evidence of something that I'm experiencing in my life that's, that is the evidence of His leadership in and upon me. And this is what sets me apart from the world. The God who is everywhere wants to be somewhere. So what He did was He filled me. And now if I will steward what He's put inside of me, He comes upon me. And when He comes upon me, the world will know who He is. Oneness with God is not just the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. It is also Him upon your life so that we can see the demonstration of His heart on the earth. I'm one with Him. Amen? Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 3.
from verse 16, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom, emancipation from bondage, true freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, continually seeing as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are progressively being transformed into His image from glory to even more glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. A couple of things. So one, we're, we don't, there isn't a veil when we're in Christ. So we all with unveiled face, beholding as if we're looking at a mirror. But here's the thing, I find that so interesting, because what we're looking at is not us. What we're looking at is the glory of the Lord. And he's saying, beholding His glory as if you're looking at a mirror. That's his heart for you. And then he says, we're being progressively transformed into His image. We're, con- we're in this continual experience of becoming like Him because we see Him. Yeah. But here's what's insane. From glory to even more glory. So, so I, my question to us this morning is this. How do I know I'm going from glory to glory? Because I'm experiencing more and more of the image of Christ. I'm experiencing more and more of the eternal reality of who He is in me and upon me. I'm moving into greater revelation, which means greater encounter. So I don't want to set the limits of my Christian life on, I just got to hang in there until He returns. Just do, just, Fight that good fight. Yeah, fight that good fight. But guess what? It's not dry. It's not dry. It's full of the glory and the splendor of Jesus. You're, you're His church. You're His people. He loves you. Are you with me? So how do I do this practically? Well, when I go into that secret place, my, my room or my closet, wherever it is, to go be with Him, my, measure, my measurement of that time with Jesus is not based on what I felt but I am expecting to experience Him. So I come in there going, Lord, you're here. Like either you're with me because you said you'll never leave me or forsake me or I'm absolutely crazy and I should be in a mental institute. And one day when we get to heaven, we'll find out which one that is. But I'm pretty sure, I'm very sure that He's there. So the only reason I wouldn't experience experience Him is if I came into that time with preconceived ideas of how He'll show up. So I come into the secret place with God and I go, I'm waiting for your presence to come upon my skin like goosebumps. I am waiting for me to hear you a certain way. I am waiting for you to give me the answer to the situation. And if you didn't give me the answer, you weren't there. This is how we treat relationship with God. But if we were to come in and just say, God, you're here and I'm here and we're one and I'm just going to enjoy you. You know my life. You know what I'm journeying. You know the things that I'm outworking. You know all of it. But I'm here to be with you. Because I know that in enjoying you, in experiencing you, all revelation, wisdom, truth, strategy, vision, whatever it is that we need, comes from that place. And I'm learning to steward environments on my own with Jesus that He likes. So that when I come together with my family, with brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, who are all doing the same thing, the pleasure of God the enjoyment of God, the tangible 
hand of God, the glory of God can come upon His people because we've learned how to steward environments. That the glory that you learn to experience with you and Him contributes towards a corporate glory or corporate experience of His glory when we come together. And then the world looks at us and goes, oh, that's why Jesus was sent, John 17. God, would you make them one as we are one so that the world would know why you sent me? There's an experience of oneness that you are made for. Don't let Christianity or your walk with God become so dry that you're left with systems and structures and disciplines but no substance of the living God in your life because it won't sustain you. And when you're tired, you're not going to be immovable by just having the systems and the disciplines and the traditions and the things that you're doing that make you feel like at least I'm kind of on track. It's not about being on track. It's about being with Him. God wants to be with you. And so I'm, I'm excited because this changes your reality as an individual. Like this changes your world, if you'll hear what I'm saying today. But not only that, it, it changes the posture, demonstration, and reality of the church. Because now what, what the world is experiencing through the church is not our own opinions. It's not an opinionated, self-righteous people. It's a humble, yielded, laid down, servant-hearted people carrying the nature of Jesus and His glory that they can taste and see of the goodness of God and go, what is that? I need it. At first, it's weird. You keep saying presence and face and all these things like, what the heck are you talking about? But then they come into the sanctuary (laughs) that's been cultivated by the sons and daughters and they go, there's His beauty there's his glory. How do I, like, let me give you this example. If you've had an encounter with Jesus, try explain it to me. It's just the truth. It's like, try explain it to me. It's like, I remember one of the biggest ones for me when I was, but just before I turned 21, I had this encounter that changed my life. God filled my room. Now, I know what I mean when I say that because I know what it felt like, but you go like, what the heck does that mean? I can say, it was like the room was filled with liquid. Because that's what it felt like. And you're like, that's weird. <laughs> so how am I supposed to convince somebody that he is a certain way if they never encounter or experience him? No, making disciples is saying, hey, I want to tell you about a God who loves you, who's in pursuit of you and wants to encounter you. You're made for encounters with Jesus. There's an invitation for you to respond. Let's walk in Him together. And again, if you're immovable, here's the thing. You get this tenacious... Ever since I had an encounter with Jesus, I've been through seasons where I don't feel Him. But I'm immovable. I, I cannot be moved from who I know He is. So what sustains me? I know him. So I won't settle for, for, a, for a life experience with no encounters. <laughs> I just have to keep 
submitting, surrendering, and yielding my heart to say, there's a way you want to encounter me and experience me, and I want to yield to it, Lord. Because you might not want to encounter me today like you did five years ago. It might be completely different. And there's always new things. Why? Because I'm moving from glory to glory. I'm like a quarter of the way through this, but anyway. Why am I sharing this today? I, I want to be his friend. I want to be his bride. I want to love him and be loved by him. And I'm realizing that he, the, the more I know Jesus, the more he's removed every desire to build anything that's unto myself. I think the more we encounter God and fall in love with God, the less we want the things of this world because it's just not impressive anymore. It's just not as beautiful as the one we know. And if my heart is not in that place, it's probably because I've settled for a walk with Jesus that is not filled with encounters and experiences of who He is. And it can be in the smallest things. I'll never forget. Like, I look back at it now and I go, it's so childish and so silly. And then the Lord goes, but that's how I've called you to live in my kingdom. I look back on my life. I remember going, I was like, maybe, I don't know, 12. And I'm like going for a walk. And I'll never forget this. I heard the Lord say to me, you see that tree? I like that tree. Now you go like, what the heck? Why would God say that? Because he likes it. He was just making me aware of something he liked. And, and he knows how to speak to the heart of a 12-year-old. He goes, I want to show you things I like. You see that tree? I like that. So that my 12-year-old heart could go, God likes specific things. And it provoked a question in my heart. God, why do you like that tree? It's so childlike, but it's the way of the kingdom. So now in our lives, how do we live with him? I want to ask you these questions. Are you living your life where the Holy Spirit can interrupt or disrupt your day and just make you aware of the fact that He likes something you did? It's friendship with Him. Do you know what I'm saying? How, how is the Holy Spirit preparing His bride for the return of Jesus? It's with His presence. It's, it's, it's a people learning how to cultivate heaven on earth. <laughs> in our hearts, in your secret place time with the Lord, and then together as a family. And the overflow of that is that we begin to burn with the Great Commission and the mandate of His heart. Because now the same deep, burning, fiery passion he has for me in that secret place, he has for my friend on the other side of the world who doesn't know Jesus. And he's just looking for a family who will say, God, I care about the things you care about. And so I'll end with this and just say, as you pursue Jesus, here's what you can expect. The more you fall in love with him, the more you'll fall in love with his bride, but also the more you fall in love with Him, the, the less you want the things of this world. Yeah. 
it just doesn't satisfy you anymore. And so if you look at your life today and go, wow, I can really see that I'm driven by the desire for things or the desire for experiences of this world or the desire for whatever it is, which can all be amazing things that God gives us. Don't get me wrong. But if my life is driven by those things, if that's how I'm making decisions, if if my life is lived unto myself, then what I need is an encounter with Jesus. And it just so happens that he's the God of encounters. And if we'll seek him, and if we'll go after him, he's so faithful to meet us every time. Are you with me? One of the things I like about this building that we're in is what I'm looking at when I'm preaching because we're looking at the northern suburbs and this whole area and four ways. And, and I just start to think, I'm like, what happens to a whole region like this when just a group of people give themselves to steward environments and atmospheres of his presence? Because something happens to us which will affect people in our lives and world, but something happens to the climate of a city And that thing, I'm immovable on that. That's what we're going to give ourselves to for the rest of our lives till Jesus comes. Everything you need for your personal heart, everything you need for your family, everything you need to be a part of the church community, everything we need for our city, and everything we need for the nations is found in Him. That's what we're born for. Amen. Won't you stand? So we're moving as a community into this, towards this. And God is so beautiful. He's, he's, he's hedged us in, hemmed us in from behind and from in front. He's got us. And He wants to make a beautiful, holy, exciting example out of communities that will yield to Him, which we are saying yes. And so... My hope today is that you would be provoked to be with Him. That you would be provoked to, to reorient your life, re- redesign and restructure the perspective of your life and not measure yourself in any way outside of Him so that you become immovable. So that we can go into December and, and then into January and into 2024 without expectations that are earthly, but with a holy heavenly expectation that Jesus, the King of glory, likes me, loves me, lives in me, is upon me, is upon His church, and He will get His glory across the nations, and I get to be a part of that in my workplace every day, on holiday, with my family, in the supermarket, wherever I am, I'm immovable on the dream of God. Why don't you lift your hands? Holy Spirit, Thank you that you're right here and thank you for this time of worshiping you and loving you and releasing songs and sounds. And God, I thank you for this word. I know I've gone on a little bit, but Lord, I just thank you that you are saying to 24-7 and to your church today that there is an invitation to live in the manifest presence of Jesus, that we can experience him every single day. 
Our lives are built on the finished work of the cross. We do not need experiences to be saved. (laughs) We don't need experiences to follow Jesus. But we have a confidence that the God we follow wants to be enjoyed and encountered and experienced. And so we just say thank you, God. And Lord, I do, I release faith right now over this room. Faith to receive you. Faith to encounter you. Faith to pursue you. Our pursuit of you, Jesus, is not to impress you. It's so that we can uh, receive you. We're responding to your invitation. So right now, in the name of Jesus, I release the anointing of the Holy Spirit, grace upon this room to follow Jesus. And I just say thank you that we are your family, God. We're brothers and sisters running together, loving you. And, and God, even in this room, I'm asking that what you would do in this room would, would, would so mark our lives and our families and our worlds, but also would mark the city and mark the nations, God. I ask that, Lord Jesus, by faith. Only you can do that. But we want to be a people responsive to your leadership. And so, Jesus, would you make us a people for your, your own position, a people of your presence, where the headship and the leadership of Jesus can rest, remain, and dwell upon every personal life, every family, upon us as a community, upon our city, and unto the nations, Lord, we pray. God, I thank you, Jesus. If there's anyone in this room that is needing healing or, or a touch from you or anything, God, thank you that there is fullness in your presence and that you're right here to meet every need. And so, Jesus, I ask, hold us, wrap us this morning, put your arms around us, Thank you for the love of God. It's unfailing, it's unending, it's unceasing. That your heart for us never changes. And I just want to release, I feel like there's, some of you are starting to feel like this fiery thing in your hearts. Like, man, I'm, yes, Jesus. Yes, I'll give my life to this. Yes, I want to serve you. Yes, me and my family, me and my children, me, God, yes, I'm in. I just see that on people and I'm like, God, would you just release the all-consuming fire of the Holy Spirit right now? across this room, into our hearts, that we would be infused with the fire of the gospel. God, we will not look to the right or to the left. We'll keep our eyes fixed on you. That everything that we do is in and unto you. God, you're the source. You sustain us and you're the finisher. You're the perfecter of our faith and all that you've called us to. And so we just say, thank you, God. You're the the God of encounters. We love you. We're hungry for you. And I just I release that, a, a, a hunger and a thirst for the presence of God like we've never known before. God, make us a, a revival house, a, a people overflowing with the living waters, rivers of living waters, God, flowing from our lives, flowing from this house so that many hundreds and thousands from all across the nations can come and drink and receive of your goodness. And so I prophesy to the soil of this community, to every heart, and I say, God, the seeds of revival that have been sown into this community, thank you for the living waters right now being poured out over that seed in good soil so that we can begin to bear the fruit that we were born to bear. We can begin to produce fruit that's your fruit. It's, it's, it's a Jesus fruit. It's not us. It's, it's your house. It's your leadership. It's your power. It's your presence. And I call in God. I call in those in Johannesburg who don't know you. And I say, God, make us a house that can reintroduce Jesus to those who don't know him or, or even to those who've forgotten. That we can reintroduce Jesus even to his bride. That we can be those with oil. That we can be those carrying the tangible presence of Jesus. So I release the fire of God right now. 
By faith I release it. Thank you for your glory and your anointing. Wash us, saturate us, consume us in Jesus' name. And every demonic thought and lie that's coming from the enemy as a distraction, thank you that when the glory of God comes, there is no room for the lies of the enemy. That there is no room this morning for anyone to feel condemned, to feel unworthy, or to feel that there's, there's something wrong with them. God, thank you that the righteousness of God is ministering to your house to say, you are my sons and daughters and you're called to carry my presence. Go forth, make disciples, carry my presence, preach the gospel, demonstrate it, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you've received, so freely give. We say thank you in Jesus' name. We love you, we honor you, and we bless you. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Love you. We're going to put on a glory pad. If you want to just stay in this space, stay, encounter Jesus, be with him. If you need to go, go. If you want to have coffee, have coffee. I love you. We love you. We're passionate about you. We're passionate about Jesus. Let's go be the church. Amen.